The following sermon is by Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. And now, here's Pastor Steve. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. Somebody said to me before the service, said, man, sometimes you handle some of the harder books. We last summer did uh, the book of Revelation, and um, we want to take a little time. We've been uh, walking our way through the New Testament, and uh, so we want to also make sure that we are doing the whole counsel of God. So we're going to walk through the book of Ecclesiastes over the next several weeks. Am I on here? Oh, Children's Church. Dismiss Children's Church. I'm getting the look from everybody. Yes, if you're a child and you're going to Children's Church, please go at this time. The rest of you get to stay into this marvelous book of Ecclesiastes. So we're going to take the next uh, several weeks and uh, walk down through this. And if you're visiting with us today, say, man, interesting book, uh, but uh, lots of good truths in here. And this is the way that we, um, this is the way that we uh, understand that the Bible would teach us to teach and understand the Scripture. So we don't just take a topic somewhere. We take a book of the Bible and we open it up and we walk through it and seek to explain it and understand it in the power of the Holy Spirit and with God's help. So that's what we'll do today. Ecclesiastes chapter number 1. We're going to give a bit of an overview, as you've seen, trying to give you a little bit of a frame of reference uh, from the video. We're going to give you a little bit of background and a little bit of introduction today. And then over the next several weeks, we'll just walk through these chapters together and see what the Lord has for us. So let me read uh, two portions of Scripture. You need to have your Bible and ready to look today. Ecclesiastes, if, you, if you're not familiar with the Bible, just let it fall to the middle and uh, keep turning to the right or to the left and you should run across it, right? Ecclesiastes chapter number 1, we'll read the first three verses. So it says, "...the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, vanity of vanities," or as it would say in the video, meaningless of meaningless, uh, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What advantage does man have in all his work which he does under the sun? And then I want you to turn to the end of the book. That would be chapter number 12. And pick up in verse number 9. So the beginning in the book and the end of the book, and we'll look at this too. Verse number 9, In addition to being a wise man, the preacher also taught the people knowledge. And he pondered and searched out and arranged many proverbs. And the preacher sought to find delightful words and to write words of truth correctly. The words of wise men are like goads, and masters of these collections are like well-driven nails. They are given by one shepherd. But beyond this, my son, be warned, the writing of many books is endless and excessive. Uh, Devotion to books is wearisome in the body. The conclusion when all has been heard is fear God and keep His commandments because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether, whether it is good or evil. Let's have a word of prayer and then we'll talk about it today. Father, we love You and thank You for Your kindness and mercy. We thank You for every book of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. We understand it to be Your inerrant, 
an infallible and inspired Word, the very breath of God. And so I pray that over the next several weeks as we look into this wonderful, mysterious in some ways, book of the Bible, pray that You would strengthen us. I pray that unsaved people, people unbelievers, would come to faith in Christ. And I pray that believers would find themselves rooted and grounded in the knowledge of the Word of God and in the life, death, crucifixion, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that we would find our ultimate meaning uh, not in life apart from You, but life with You. And we will love You and bless You, for it is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You can see that uh, in your bulletin, I gave a little place to make notes on the front. And uh, we're going to call this series The Diary of a Desperate Traveler. Uh, I'm not sure if any of you have ever been uh, displeased with where you are in life. You ever work a dead-end job? And have you ever been at a place where you thought, man, I would just love to get out of Dodge. I'd love to just leave and go somewhere and start over again. I don't know if you've been like that. I've been like that. Do you know I had a job one time picking up garbage at the dump? Now, I just want you to think about that for a moment. I mean, it really doesn't get that much more dead end than picking up garbage at the dump. There's this huge hole in the ground where the dump was, and then the wind and stuff would blow the trash that was supposed to be in the dump on the hill beside the dump, and they gave me a garbage bag and some gloves and said, what we want you to do is pick up the garbage around the dump and then put it back in the dump. I wanted to leave. I wanted to get out of there. In fact, I only worked that job for three hours and I said to my buddy, I'm not the smartest person. I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but I think I can do better than this and left, all right? There's times in our lives where we feel like we're at the end of the rope, that maybe life is meaningless, we're uh, in a dead-end job or a dead-end career, or maybe we're just spinning our wheels with our ministry or with our family or what we're doing, and you kind of have that thought, is this really worth it? Is this, is this all there really is to life? And sometimes you feel like, man, I just want to go somewhere and start again. Now, there are some Monday mornings where I'll say to Connie, I'll say, you know what, I just want to be, I want to pump gas for a living. I don't even know if anybody pumps gas for a living anymore, but I just want to find a service station, full service service station in a one light town in Montana. And I want to fly fish and pump gas. That's all I want to do. I'm out of here. She walks me back from the edge. You ever been there? Well, if you haven't, you will pretty soon. Because that's the way life is. And just like you saw in the video, we learn a lot from the book of Proverbs, and it is a wonderful book, and the wisdom that's there is helpful for our lives, and it is God's inspired words, but it's good that the Bible gives us a full spectrum so that we understand that wherever we are in life, the Bible speaks to where we are. And there are times where every person in this room and every person in the world find themselves in the book of Ecclesiastes, where you just simply think, man, this is meaningless, this is purposeless, I'm not sure what the aim of life is. I'm not even sure why I'm here. I know that not on television and all the things that I see is saying that I'm supposed to live some kind of great and grand life that has this superhuman value and I'm supposed to change the world and I can't even change me. 
I want you to know that as we walk through this book together, we're going to see some advice and some wisdom. We're going to see how the Word of God speaks to us. But today on this uh, uh, introduction, I just want to share a few things with you. So look back down at verse number 1 and 2. We'll see if we can work through a little bit of this. First of all, it says, the words of the preacher. Now your translation might say something like the words of the the preacher or the teacher or the gatherer. The word here is... um, uh, let's see, uh, coalette, all right? And that's just a kind of a transliteration of saying this word. All, all it simply means is one who gathers together. And so you can understand that in a religious setting, those that are looking at this are saying, okay, the one who generally gathers the body of Christ or the people of God or the Jewish community together would be the preacher or the teacher or the communicator. And so this is one who gathers together. Now, some of you out there are using study Bibles and I just want to tell you, there is an entire cottage industry on who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, okay? So I'm going to tell you this, kind of like you saw in the video, there really are two authors, or there is one author with a shaper. That's what I like to call him. And so uh, the most of the book from chapter 1, verse number 12, look at verse number 12. You see how in verse number 12 it begins with the uh, first person Uh, personal pronoun here, I, the preacher. From verse number 12 of chapter 1 all the way to verse number 8 of chapter number 12, the entire thing is written in first-person language. I, the preacher, I am telling you this. This is what is happening in my life. I am giving you my personal wisdom. And so I want to say that I think there's good evidence here that this is most likely speaking about King Solomon. Notice in verse number 1, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. And so whether it is Solomon or not, what is being trying to be communicated here in first person language throughout the book is this is somebody who has royalty in their blood. This is somebody who has the means to pursue happiness in life. There was a billboard out in California one time and it said, come pursue happiness in a car that can catch it, right? And the the, the guy that's writing here in the majority of this book, Solomon, he's writing to you and saying, look, I'm not just some some guy that's out there. I have all of the money, all of the wealth, all of the wisdom, all of the mind. I can pursue every avenue of a life. I can find happiness if it's out there. I can find meaning. I can find purpose. And he's going to unfold that in this book. And so probably here, if it's not Solomon, it's meant to push you towards Solomon, who was the world's smartest man, wisest man, had all of the money in the world and yet had 700 wives. So you know he was a little bit dumb somewhere, right? All of my men said, amen, like this. Solomon says to us, listen, he's one of the authors here and he's saying in the bulk of this information, I'm telling you that I'm going to talk to you about pursuing happiness and finding that sweet spot in your life and that you can't find it apart from God. But I want you to know that I'm not just saying that to you from my mind. I'm saying that to you from experience. I have walked down those roads. I have walked away from jobs. I've walked away from everything and I've pursued purpose and meaning in money, in wealth, in relationships, in states and positions of life, in prestige, in pride, in what other people think, in education. I have pursued purpose and meaning in every possible venue and milieu of life and come up short because it's been life apart from God. 
And if you're truthful with your own heart today, you've pursued meaning and purpose in a variety of areas of your life. Some of you are trusting in your intellect today. Some of you believe that you hold on to that, your smarts and your education and the degrees that you may have or all of that and you think that if you'll just pursue that long enough that that will bring you meaning and purpose. There are others in this room that your career and your job is all wrapped up in your identity and you feel like that it gives you meaning and purpose to do what it is that you do. And you've pursued all of your life to be the very best at that. Do you know that there are also people in this room that have pursued meaning in religion? You've been members of churches longer than, hey, I've been a, I've been a, I've been a member of this church, Sonny, longer than you've been preaching. I, I know there's people here today like that. There are people, and you say, I've, I've been religious all my life, and I grew up in it, I was baptized in it, and my grandparents and great-grandparents, I've been a part of religion all of my life, and you find meaning in that. And I want you to know, that's a dead-end road. And if you try and find meaning even in religion, apart from God, you'll fail every time. Yeah, there's times in our lives where we want to give up and I want to pursue, I want to go, I want the grass looks greener on the other side. I want to go there, I want to start over again. I want to go to that. If I just move there and do that and get this job, if I just do something other than where I am, everything will be okay. And I want you to understand that the greenest grass on most property grows right above the septic tank. And you can pursue meaning in all areas of life, but if you do it apart from God, you'll fail every time. And so, from verse number 12 of chapter 1 all the way close to the end of chapter number 12, you'll find that Solomon is speaking in first-person language and he's saying, I'm pouring out my heart and telling you what I've done with my life and I'm giving you wisdom on how to not do that. There is also a shaper or redactor or a composer, whatever you want to say, and he speaks to us in the very beginning and in the very end of the book of Ecclesiastes. If you would, it's good in, in uh, theological languages, it's called an inclusio, but simply mean it's a bookend, okay? So the author speaks at the very beginning of the book and sets things up for you and tells you what Solomon's going to say. He comes back and he has the end say at the end of the book, and he says, no matter what you've heard in this book, sometimes it seems like it's dark in my life, he comes back and he says, I want you to know that the whole end of everything is fear God and keep His commandments and God will return to judge the earth one day. Love God and obey Him. That's what we have to do. Make sure I'm not on fire here. Can you all hear that or is that feedback? Okay. So, that is the author of the book. Let's look here for a moment at this, uh, at the main, uh, the main activity in it. Look down at verse number two. Vanity of vanities or meaningless here, uh, says the preacher, vanity of vanity. So we understand the author. Now we want to understand kind of the main and the key concept. This phrase, vanity of vanities, is mentioned 38 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. 
It's very important that we understand what is going on there. And I'm going to get into that in just a little bit. But really what he's saying here, I, I want you to understand they're right in the video. It's not so much that uh, it's vain or it's worthless as it is simply to say that it's confusing and that it is absurd at points. Life apart from God is absurd. And isn't that the way that the real world is? And just talk to lost people. You know, we're so wrapped up in Christian people all the time. Just talk to lost people and they'll tell you that the life and the world seems meaningless at times. Why is it that bad things happen to good people? And why is it that good things happen to bad people? Do you have a good answer for that? Why does it seem that somebody struggles all their life and they can barely make it and somebody else is a, is a, a, a bum, so to speak, and they play the lottery and win $15 million? Why does it seem like life is unfair? Why does it seem that way? I think when we come to the book like this, we're able to understand that the Bible speaks to real human needs and real life. And there are people right now, right here. And you're, you're really not sure if you have a purpose in life. And you've tried to find that in many areas. And a lot of times when I counsel with people who are uh, close to uh, taking their own life and suicidal and all of that, I think my brother up here would speak with me. Often it's because people have a sense of meaninglessness with a purposelessness, that they have this absurdity about them in which they think, you know what, there's nothing higher here. This is all, life is a crapshoot and then you die. And if you're honest, even the best Christians in this room have had deep, dark, quiet moments in your life where you've wondered if this is all a sham and if life really is pointless. I want to bring us back to this passage and say, that's what this guy is struggling with. That's what he's walking through. And he's saying, hey, listen, there really is a God and we really do submit ourselves to Him. And if we do not find our purpose in God, life will become meaningless. Right? And then look there, if you would. What advantage does man have in all of his work which he does under the sun? This is a phrase under the sun that I want you to make sure that you understand carefully. Uh, I was reading a quote earlier this week. In fact, I put up on my Twitter. I read a quote about doing things under the sun, and I thought, man, that's an awesome quote. And, uh, and then I studied the passage a little bit further and realized, no, that's really not a good quote at all. Uh, the quote was something to this effect. Uh, you'll find that uh, repeatedly in this book, he'll say there's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun. And uh, somebody came along and they were writing. They said, you know what? The, really, the only problem this guy has is that he was always looking under the sun and he should have been looking above the sun to God. And well, that's just a cheapening of this man's heart. When it says under the sun, it doesn't simply mean that he has his mind only on earthly things. Really, it has the idea here that he had his mind on anything that would give life. He was searching and looking. And every time he would seek to find something that would give sustenance and life and joy and peace and goodness that would last, he would find it to be empty. I want to say to us today, we must be the kind of people that aren't seeking fulfillment 
in anything outside of God and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And that's a battle. That's a battle. Right? All your life. Now whether you're a teenager, whether you're a young adult, or whether you're in the twilight years of your life, if you try and find your identity and your worth and your value in anything other than Jesus Christ, you're going to come up with a lot of sorrow in your life. You're going to feel like people are railroading you and running you over. You're going to feel like one day that when you can't do something the same way that you used to, that you lose value and you're not as good and all of that kind of thing. If you don't find your value in Christ, you'll seek to find your value in another relationship. You'll even import those expectations that are unbiblical and unattainable onto another human being. You'll expect your spouse or your children or your parents or your grandparents to fulfill something that they were never intended to fulfill and that only God can do for you. And that's the reason why we have an entire society that is always seeking to be fulfilled and gratified, to be, have their self-esteem lifted up because they cannot find it in anybody. The only place that you'll find your value is in a relationship with Jesus Christ who loved you, died for you, and rose again that you might have everlasting life. Now, I just want to point out to you, uh, so I talked a little bit about the author, talked about kind of the main idea of what's going on and gave you a little understanding here of what's under the sun. So let me just kind of close our introduction today by uh, making sure that we understand the book of Ecclesiastes from a Christian biblical worldview. All right? Now, don't glaze out on me here. I want you to understand that every time, all Scripture is Christian Scripture. You understand that? All Scripture. Jesus in Luke chapter 24, verse 44, He opened to them Moses and the prophets and the writings, and He began to tell them all things concerning Himself. Even the book of Ecclesiastes is about Jesus. And unless the hero of every book of the Bible comes out in one way or another, whether directly or indirectly, to be Jesus, you are misreading the Scripture. So let me take you back to verse number 2 and we'll kind of close down today with this. Look at verse number 2. He says here, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. And you saw in the video, the word here is hevel. And uh, this uh, it's probably more pronounced this way. Hebel with a B. Hebel, right? And this is the transliteration for a man's name who you know in the Bible. And his name is Abel. Hebel and Abel are the same word. And in all actuality, when you read the book of Ecclesiastes, what you're really reading is a commentary on Genesis chapter 3 and Genesis chapter number 4. When the preacher writes here to you, and especially that shaper and, and molder here in the beginning, when he says, vanity of vanity, saying to you, Abel, 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 and he's taking your mind and he's saying, when you read this book, 
I want you to go all the way back to the Garden of Eden when God made everything perfect and everything right and everything good and Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day. But there came a time in chapter number 3 where they wanted to do what was right in their own eyes. They wanted to obey themselves. They wanted to make themselves the king rather than serving and being obedient to God the king. And they sinned. And what happened? The Bible says that curse came upon them. And in the day that they ate, they died spiritually. And what did God do? God moved them from His presence outside of the Garden of Eden. And when you move outside of the Garden of Eden, away from the very presence of the eternal God of heaven, what is the very next thing that happens? Death. The first murder in all of the Bible takes place in Genesis chapter number 4. When Cain, in absurdity, meaninglessness, vanity, takes the life of his brother, Abel. Why? Because God was not pleased with Cain's sacrifice. Why would you, why, well, doesn't it make sense to be angry with God and maybe even get that right and work that out in your own soul and make your offering right before God? Why would you kill your own brother? Because life apart from God always ends in hevel. Vanity. Absurdity. Death. A dominating theme of the book of Ecclesiastes is the dominating theme from Genesis chapter number 4 until Jesus comes again. That life apart from God and His Son only ends in death. I'm going to take your Bible and turn over to Hebrews chapter number 11. We'll finish with this. Hebrews chapter number 11. I said we finished with this, but I'll take you to one more verse after that and we'll close her down. Hey, I get three times to do that, all right? As a preacher, I get three times to close. Hebrews chapter number 11. Some people call this the triumph of faith or the hall of faith. But I just want you to read with me here, if you would. I'll pick up in verse number 1 just simply because I like it, but verse 4 is where we're going. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it uh, the men of old gained approval. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the Word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. From verse number 4, by faith... Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about His gifts, and through faith, though He is dead, He still speaks. Now turn back over to Ecclesiastes chapter number 12, the end of the book. So let me set this in context for you. We come to Ecclesiastes, there's two authors. Solomon is writing to us, and he's basically saying, look, you can pursue meaning and value and joy in all of these things in the world and always come up short. Or you can pursue it by loving God and keeping His commandments. 
and always come up with joy and righteousness. When the author begins the book, he wants your mind to go all the way back to Genesis 3 and 4 and see that when Adam and Eve sinned, so did you. For by one man sin entered into the world and therefore death passed upon all human beings. When Adam sinned, we all sinned. And what follows death and destruction and pain and hurt and broken relationships and life turned upside down. And what follows in Genesis 4? The absurdity of one brother taking the life of another brother. Why? Because his sacrifice was not right in the eyes of God. What's the remedy? What sacrifice did Abel offer? An innocent blood sacrifice. And what sacrifice did God make for us but sending the Lamb of God, His Son, who was innocent, to die on the cross of Calvary to pay for all of your sin and all of your shame and all of our wickedness, that in Him He might swallow up death and sin and give us life eternal, that we might walk in the fullness of God and obey Him and find total meaning in our lives as human beings under the sun. Bow your heads with me for a moment. So week by week, we'll march our way through Ecclesiastes and we'll weep together and rejoice together as we see that we must have our life not apart from God being cast out of the garden, but we must have our life with God through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we trust Him, and live obedient to Him, we'll find the great meaning and the value and the purpose of life. I just want to give you a moment to pray there. In just a minute, we'll have some music come. We'll stand and sing in a moment, but maybe just right where you are, would you begin this series in Ecclesiastes by saying, Lord, wherever I find myself, maybe there's somebody right here right now, and you're here, and you don't even know why you're here today, but you feel like, man, I, I do. I feel purposeless. I've been, I've been at the same job for 20 years and I feel like quitting. I feel like my family's abandoned me. I'm not even sure why I'm still here. I've got so much pain. I just, sometimes I just wish I was dead. And you need some help from God. Right where you are, would you ask the Lord to help you not to find meaning in anything else but in Him? The safest place in all the world is to be in the presence of God through Jesus Christ. And I'm not sure what that needs to look like in your life. Maybe you need to confess sin. Maybe you need to knock down an idol. Maybe there's a relationship in your life that is taking precedent over Jesus Christ. Maybe the pursuit of money or career or fame or prestige, position... Maybe your religiosity has taken the place of true relationship with Jesus. If when somebody asks you about your Christianity, you simply say, I've been a member of that church or I've been going to church for 50 years, but you can't say, I am in an ongoing, interactive, great relationship with Jesus whereby He is taking sin away from my life and I'm growing closer day by day to Jesus 
do you really have a meaningful relationship with Him? I want to ask you just to put all the rest of that out. Talk with God right where you are. Bring Him your life. And live in His presence. You've been listening to Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh. For more information and free access to other messages, please visit us at ebcraleigh.com.